Okay. So the reading is from 2 Peter chapter 3, from verse 10. It's on page 861 of the Red Pew Bibles. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Well, let's, um, let's pray as we consider God's word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it brings uh, truth and life uh, into, our li- into our lives. And we pray for the children next door and for ourselves that we would be eager to... Uh, to learn and eager to put into practice what your word teaches. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're reading this story, it means that the world did not end on December the 21st, 2012. Despite reports of ancient Mayan prophecy, a mysterious planet on a collision course with Earth or a reverse in the Earth's rotation, we're still here. So begins a page on the, on the NASA website on December the 22nd, 2012. Do you remember last December and the prophecies of the end of the world? Do you remember that? There was a fair bit of uh, interest around the world because of this particular prophecy. There was a, uh, a the, the story goes that there was a, um, a an, an, the ancient people called the Sumerians who lived up around what we would call Iraq area today, that the ancient Sumerians had uh, discovered a planet, a mysterious planet called Nibiru. And uh, they said that this planet was heading on a collision course with planet Earth. Uh, The estimated date of impact was May 2003. But when that didn't happen, someone decided to put the date uh, um, back uh, forward a few years 
because, uh, and to move it to December the 21st, 2012, because December the 21st, 2012, they thought was the end of the calendar of another ancient people called the Mayan people. And so if the December the 21st, if the Mayans said that that was the last day on their calendar, then obviously December the 22nd, that's the date that Nibiru is going to crash into planet Earth. Now, of course, there is no planet Nibiru, and uh, December the 21st, 2012, wasn't even the end of the Mayan calendar. It was just the end of a cycle on the Mayan calendar. But you don't want to let facts get in the way of a good end-of-the-world story. It's interesting to me that people pay attention to a, a, a prediction like that, and yet uh, there are many people who virtually ignore what the Bible says about the end of the world. Well, we're not going to ignore what the Bible says about the end of the world. In fact, uh, last um, week in 2 Peter chapter 3, if you'd like to have that open in front of you, in 2 Peter chapter 3, we learnt that God has promised that, the, that he will one day judge the world, that his son Jesus will return, and that will be uh, a day which will never be forgotten. And we're also told that God always pro keeps his promises. When God promises judgment, he delivers judgment. And in 2, P uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, we're reminded of when uh, God said that he would judge the world at the time of the flood. Uh, people scoffed at Noah, said it won't happen until the rains came down and wouldn't stop. Now, what then will the day of judgment be like? And how can we prepare for it? Uh, in our passage today, in verses 10 through to 18, Peter addresses those two issues. So we're going to dive into that and see what he says. Uh, now, firstly, he reminds us that one day Jesus will return. And on that day, the world as we know it will end. Have a look at verse 10, uh, if you wouldn't mind. In verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. Uh, and, uh, and the earth will be laid bare. Now, what does that mean? So, this is dramatic language which, Peter, uh, which, which is often used in the Old Testament to refer to times when God would bring judgment upon uh, particular nations. But here, Peter uh, is not only using that language, which uh, depicts judgment, but it's describing really the great cataclysmic event of judgment of all time. You see, when people speak about the end of the world, you know, when they speak about you know, some giant meteorite um, crashing into the planet or some stray planet like Nibiru going off course and hitting the Earth, when people talk about that kind of end of the world scenario, they're talking about a meaningless event. They're talking about event that, uh, that is just an accident. They're talking about an, an event where there is no future beyond that. But the Bible teaches something very different about the creation and about God's purposes for the creation. 
And in order to understand it, we need to go back to the beginning. We need to go back to the book of Genesis. We need to go back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. Think about Adam and Eve. Uh, life in the Garden of Eden was perfect. Perfect people in a perfect world where God provided abundantly for Adam and Eve. But when they rebelled against God, when they ate of the fruit that they were not to eat of, when they said, in effect, that they knew better than God, then things changed and death entered the world. <laughs> Satan had said, you will not surely die. God's got his own interests at heart, not yours. But death entered the world. And that's why our bodies grow old. That's why our bodies uh, deteriorate. That's why we end up dying. Because, as Paul says in Romans, that the wages for sin is death. The punishment for sin is death. And it's because uh, sin entered the world through Adam that so too did death. Now, when we die, if we are people who trust in Christ, then our souls go to be with God. But that's not the final state. Because when Jesus returns, the bodies of all people are resurrected. Uh, and in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, speaking to Christians, says that we will be given new bodies. Uh, bodies which are similar to the bodies that we have now in some sense, but bodies that are different because they will be spiritual bodies. Um, bodies like that of the resurrected uh, Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect bodies which do not grow old, eternal bodies. And it's in the same way uh, that when Adam, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden, that the creation itself was also affected. You see, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, when God is pronouncing the judgment on Adam, uh, he declares that the ground uh, will now be cursed. And for Adam, uh, his labour, his work, his toil would be toil. It would be difficult to feed himself because the ground was now going to produce thorns and thistles. It would be by the sweat of his brow that he would feed his face. And that's because the the, the, uh, the because the earth itself has been cursed. And so the problems that we experience, the, 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 the droughts, the, the floods, the, all the things that make it difficult for us to feed ourselves are because we live in a fallen world, a world that is a result of the sin. Not its own sin, but the sin of Adam and Eve. But it won't always be like that. I wonder if you might uh, turn to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. And I'm just going to read a few verses from Romans 8, on, you'll find on page 800. In Romans 8, verse 19, everyone got that? 
Romans 8 verse 19, uh, Paul says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Uh, You see that? The, The creation itself is in bondage to decay. The creation itself is groaning, waiting in eager anticipation for the revealing of the sons of God, which comes at the general resurrection, the return of Jesus. When Jesus comes again, we will receive new bodies, new bodies, perfect bodies, eternal bodies, and It is the same for the creation. It is the same for the world. The creation itself will be made new. The creation itself will be made perfect. It will be a perfect creation where there is no sin, where there are no effects of the fall because these things are done away with. It's like what we see in Revelation chapter 21. Would you mind just turning to that for a moment? Second last chapter in the Bible... And uh, this will be the last of our Bible flipping, I think. In Revelation chapter 21, when John saw the the vision of the eternal reality, uh, this is what he said that he saw. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Then he goes on to say, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. But the old order of things has passed away. Are you looking forward to that? You betcha. <clears throat> you see, when you know, when people think about <clears throat> you know eternal life <clears throat> and heaven and so on, <clears throat> what do they often think about? You know, people think about Christians floating around on clouds forever. But the Bible teaches something a bit different. The Bible teaches a new creation. When Jesus returns, the old creation will be destroyed. It will be done away with to make new for the new heaven and the new earth. And so go back to 2 Peter chapter 3. In verse 12, in verse 12, in the second part of verse 12, Peter says, That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. He says that, but this is not final. This is not the last word. This is not the end of the story. It's not like one of those end of the world movies where there's total destruction almost, but a few remnant survivors who have to eke out an existence amongst the rubble. No, because of the word but. Do you see that word but there? He he says, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, which is to be the home of righteousness. You see, there's the difference, isn't there? 
This is Eden again. The difference is that there will be no more sin. The difference is that there will be no more effects of the sin. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more death because this is the home of righteousness. The effects of the fall in the Garden of Eden are reversed. Now, when will all of this happen? Well, in uh, verse 10, Peter picks up on something that Jesus once said, where he says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. I have never had the experience of having my house broken into. Has anyone here had their house broken? Oh, my goodness. I can't imagine the sense of violation and intrusion. But I can imagine that the thief didn't phone you up in advance and make an appointment. Is that correct? No, it doesn't work that way. And uh, that's kind of like the point that, um, that, that Peter is, is making here. And that is that Jesus could come at any time. He comes when we least expect it because there's a reason for that. Because he wants us to be prepared at any time. Now, some Christians don't seem to get that point. I mean, there are some Christians, and you know, the Lord bless them, that they are so enthusiastic about the return of Christ that they spend all of their time thinking and looking at the Bible and trying to work out exactly when he's going to return. Right? And they come up with dates and, and so on. And you know, bless them for their enthusiasm for the return of the Lord. But they always get it wrong, don't they? Now, that is not likely to be our problem. You see, our problem is I think we're more likely to go too far the other, the other way. Our problem is that uh, although we you know, say that we believe that Jesus is coming again, we believe that this world will be put to an end, that we believe that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, we believe that there will be a judgment, we say that we believe these things but we live as if he won't come again. We live as if this world is all that there is. And we try to suck the most out of this life that we possibly can. Some Christians can even do that with the approval and even the encouragement and the example of other Christians, even leaders. Um, There are church leaders who have become very relaxed on the whole issue of... uh, sexuality and immorality, uh, even endorsing sexual immorality. There are whole denominations that endorse and approve and encourage what the Bible says is sexual immorality. There are influential people in churches who promote this life as being where it's all at. You know, your best life is now. And so they encourage materialism and and greed, not just by their example, but by their actual teaching as well. And in this sense, they're not unlike the false teachers that Peter spoke spoke about in chapter 2 of this letter. And it's also for that reason that Peter now in this passage speaks about the Apostle Paul. Not that Paul is in that category, quite the reverse. But I wonder if you might look with me at verse 15 and 16. 
In verse 15, he says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. That's one of my favourite books in the Bible, letters, verses in the Bible. You, you can relate to that. You, you sometimes find Paul's letters hard to understand. It's nice to know that Peter the Apostle thought the same way, isn't it? But look at what he says. He says, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Now, what does Peter say about Paul's writings? Well, first of all, he says that they contain wisdom that comes from God. Secondly, sometimes they can be a little bit hard to understand. And thirdly, he includes Paul's writings as being scripture. He says Paul's writings with the other scriptures. But he says, and this is the point I want to make, that ignorant and unstable people distort what Paul writes. Now, how do they do that? And what on earth has that got to do with what Peter's on about here in terms of teaching about the second coming of Jesus? he suddenly break into this little you know, section talking about the Apostle Paul? Well, think about Paul's message. At the, at the heart of the message of the Apostle Paul, uh, his big message is how people can be saved from the wrath of God on the day of God's judgment. That's his message. So how are we saved? Well, Paul is at pains to point out that it is not, we are not saved through obeying God's laws. And the reason, of course, being because we all fail to obey, obey God's laws. That's the nature of being uh, an, an inheritor of, uh, of, of uh, Adam's curse. So we fail to obey God's law, so that's not the way. Rather, Paul says that the way that we get saved is by grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus dying on the cross, through faith, by trusting in him. And we can all say amen to that, can't we? But you see, some people say, well, that's great. <laughs> that's terrific. Jesus has paid for my sins, so I can now just go on living my life however I want because I am forgiven. That's what they say. And the more I sin, the more gracious God is towards me. So how about that? If I sin more, God's more gracious and God is more honoured because he's able to show how gracious he is. Now, in Romans chapter 3 verse 8, some people actually claimed that that is what Paul taught. Now, for some of them, uh, that was because that was a criticism of the Apostle Paul. But for others, it was an excuse. Uh, It gave them licence so that they could claim to be Christians but keep on sinning. They could claim to be people who uh, believe in the second coming of Jesus, believe that he's coming again, 
but they can keep on living as, as though they're part of the old world, the old body, the old self. But friends, this world is coming to an end. And that has great implications, not just for the future, but for how we ought to be living now. Have a look at verse 11. Verse 11, Peter says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Holy and godly lives. What does it mean to be holy? Well, you know, it doesn't mean that you'll come some kind of a special religious person. It doesn't mean that you're the kind of person who gets their face, you know, into a stained glass window in a church somewhere. To be holy means to be different. It means to live not as though you belong to this fallen world, gratifying the desires of your sinful nature, but rather to be a person who is set apart for God. In verse 14, Peter says, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. You see, the false teachers, they were not spotless and blameless, were they? Back in chapter 2 and verse 13, far from describing them as being spotless and blameless, Peter describes them as being blots and blemishes. Uh, But in his first letter, in 1 Peter, Peter described Jesus as being a lamb without blemish, without defect. A lamb who died for our sins so that we can actually be at peace with God. And you want to be at peace with God, friends. Because when Jesus comes again, you don't want to be a person who finds themselves offside with God. You know, last December, when, the, uh, when people thought that the Mayan calendar was coming to an end, and uh, that a planet would smash into Earth, NASA was actually drawn into the whole, the whole story. And the reason was this. A couple of years earlier, NASA had released a video which was a message to all of their employees. And in that video, the boss of NASA... Charles Bolden, the number one person in NASA, was on the video. And in that video, he urged every person who was part of the NASA family to develop their own personal emergency plan. He said to people, you need to think about what kind of natural disasters could strike where you live. You need to think about what kind of terrorist attacks could be perpetrated against you and make sure that you've got an emergency supply kit. Make sure that you've got a family emergency communications plan. And he said, make sure that you've got an emergency plan for your pets, your cats and dogs. They released that video. 
and the internet went wild. People thinking, hang on a moment, <clears throat> there's you know, the prediction that a planet's going to crash into the Earth. The Mayan calendar is about to end and now the boss of NASA is, is warning his staff. You can imagine. People drew the connection, so much so that NASA had to issue a statement. And this was the statement they issued. It said, and I quote, the world will not end in 2012. They said, our planet has been getting along just fine for more than four billion years, and credible scientists worldwide know of no threat associated with 2012. Well, you've got to, you've got to think, you know, if, if a, a stray planet, Nibiru, was about to smash into planet Earth, you know, an emergency plan for your cats and dogs? <laughs> Friends, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming back again and we need to be prepared for the second coming of Jesus. How can we be prepared? Well, there are three things. First of all, trust. Jesus is the spotless lamb of God who died for your sins. Have you trusted in that? Are you trusting that his death on the cross has paid for all of your guilt? Or are you still trusting in yourself? Don't wait until he returns. Don't put it off. Don't think I'll deal with this later on in life. Because you don't know what, what day you will meet God. You don't know the day of your own death. You don't know uh, the day when you might have an accident which makes you brain dead. And we do not know the day that Jesus will return. So, trust. Secondly, guard. We might start off well trusting in Jesus, but over time we can be misled by false teachers who don't teach the gospel. False teachers who are somewhat relaxed about immorality and greed and doctrine, and that can happen. That can happen. Um, check out verse 17. In verse 17, as we draw this uh, series to a close, he says, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Now, sometimes people think that it's a little bit unkind uh, to say that church leaders are wrong, that they're deceptive, uh, and uh, they, they teach things that are just false, and that the way that they live is wrong. Now, of course, that can be unkind if it is said for the wrong reasons. But that's the sort of thing we've actually got to be prepared to do because we must be on guard. I, I personally know Christians who have joined a church because they kind of like the feel of the church or because it's got the right style of service or the right type of music, contemporary or classical, or the right activities for their kids and all of that sort of stuff's fine. That's, that's good. That's, that's great but they have not considered the teaching. And over time they've been drawn backwards because they're not, they're not getting the message every Sunday about Jesus and his death and his resurrection and his return. And have been drawn into the things of this world, into materialistic teaching and, and false doctrine. And they're not moving 
forwards, they're moving backwards. In verse 18, we're to be moving forwards. Because that's the third word. The first word is trust. The second word uh, that, uh, that we have there is the word guard. And the third word is grow. Uh, we must be people who are growing in our knowledge of Jesus and in the grace of Jesus. Which means if we're going to grow in our knowledge of Jesus, we ought to be people who are reading the scriptures regularly and frequently and absorbing ourselves in the word of God. We ought to be people who are meeting up with other Christians so we can teach one another and encourage each other to keep on doing that. Unless, of course, you know everything that there is. (laughs) Unless, of course, uh, you don't actually need to be changing as a person. Uh, Unless, of course, you've already reached perfection. If you're in that category, then you're wrong. (laughs) Because we always need to keep on growing, learning and changing and becoming more godly and more holy. As we read the scriptures, as we encourage each other, we find that there are so many areas of our life and our character that we should want to change so that we can be more like the person that we'll eventually be when Jesus returns. So we can be more like Jesus himself, whom one day we will all meet. And the question is, will we be ready for that? Will you be Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we do thank you for your grace and your mercy in Jesus. Father, we thank you that you have a plan for the creation. We thank you that one day Jesus will return in judgment so that there will be justice in this world. Father, we thank you that when he returns that we will be given resurrected bodies perfect bodies, that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, that sin will be no more, that there will be no more pain or sorrow or suffering or sickness or death. We long for that day, Lord Jesus, and we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. But may we be ready for it. We pray for anyone here who doesn't trust in Jesus. We pray for ourselves if we're actually backsliding and slipping into sin and unholy living, we pray that we will change. And we pray, Father God, for those whom we love who do not yet know you, that they would come to trust in Jesus as well before he returns. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.